Alright, here's the second episode. It's amazing. Uh, hi, Dan. Welcome again. It's amazing that we have reached our second episode. How's your week been? Well, pretty good, Mark. Um, I'm getting used to the colder weather that's beginning to um, come across now in the UK. We're technically in autumn, but for me, having loved the weather in Singapore, it feels like winter, mate. Right. Well, you well just to maybe console you a little bit, it's been rainy the past few days in Singapore. So it is also like autumn weather, which is untypical of uh, this time of the year. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, I wouldn't say it's any hotter than what you are getting now. <laughs> wow. Anyway, yeah. well, we'll get warmed up during this episode. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so today, right, as we all know, we will try and, uh, you know, uh, unpack uh, educational things that we have read about that we think it's interesting and we'll try and do it with a little bit of humour. Uh, in the last episode, we talked a little bit about COVID uh, and how uh, teachers are coping with it. Uh, today's episode is something that I read uh, in the international press that maybe I wanted to get your opinion on. Uh, and I think maybe you can guess what the topic is. Uh, and it's really about your ex-education minister, Gavin Williams, has been sacked. Now, why was he sacked and was it justified in your opinion? <laughs> well, when you saw, if you watched the news over um, the previous months, yeah. a lot of protests in the street and there was a slogan that says, Gav, are you having a laugh? In other words, they, you know, they saw him almost as a comedy entity. Um, right. What we can do is to pick up on some of the key things that, have been well publicised about um, what he didn't do right. right. And then we can unpack some more important underlying things. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Um, do you want me to start with a couple? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe just to give your take on it, because uh, yeah. I, what I've read uh, is maybe two, two times detached, if you know what I mean, because it's really from the, the UK press that I've been reading on. So now that you are back in the UK and you are right on the thick of it, Share, maybe maybe you can start off by sharing your thoughts and I'll just chime in and jump in here and there. Yeah, just come in at any time. I mean, yeah. it's a conversation with a purpose. Well, I mean, in, in some senses, poor old Gav was between a rock and a hard place because the COVID thing was so difficult. And a couple of things that happened was he decides to open the schools and then within literally a day or so, he closes them down. Um, so that, that obviously... Um, didn't um, go down terribly well with parents. And um, the perhaps the worst thing that he got publicised um, about very critically was the A-level results. Yeah, what um, about that? Yeah, what about well, the A-level results? He was advised not, and only as a last result, to go with some algorithm, which means that you look at a number of features and then that determines the grades and the algorithm and he did actually use this algorithm what he didn't want to do is just trust maybe teachers to do it properly or whatever and he went with the algorithm and the problem was that there were technical aspects i won't go into those because it could bore people but basically what it meant was they took class size and school history into account and what that basically meant is that the, the kids who went to um, the better schools, the public schools, the schools with the small class sizes, etc., those kind of things, ended up getting better A-level grades than the kids who went to schools that had an history of not doing terribly well. So it was okay. very much 
biased okay. against that, class kids. Okay, then so so let's let's take a let's take a step back and maybe this is for for my understanding as well. Are you saying that uh, in actuality the students actually didn't sit for the A levels or did they actually sit for the A levels? But there was an algorithm that also uh, because they missed some lessons and they cut down the syllabus because of the pandemic. And to make up for it, they use an algorithm. Can you just clarify for people? Yeah, they didn't, take, they didn't take the A-level exam. So what basically happened, I, I was in kind of Singapore at the time. Yep. And um, there, I knew people whose kids were doing A-levels. And in some cases, they were predicted grades that got them into university. But then when they used the algorithm, they didn't take the exams. So Okay. So they took into account various bits of data and schools would report what the kids did in the mock exams. And mm -hmm. that could have gone into the algorithm. Now, the problem is we know that mock exams are exactly that. Some kids might take them more seriously than others. Um, but in the end, because the exams weren't taken, so those kids who could have done very well in the exams didn't get a chance. So it went on teachers' perceptions, what they did in the mock exams, and an algorithm <laughs> right. that had a fundamental pedagogic um flaw in it so yeah it was it was a mess so then what okay so uh, while i understand that and i think singapore is uh I, I i hesitate to use the word similar but uh let, let me give you a bit of an insight and then i want your opinion on this yeah so right now uh you you know okay you know because you've lived in singapore for quite a number of years we are now in the throes or in fact it's just about to start next week uh, the major primary school living examinations. And that honestly is one of the uh, biggest stresses or the biggest national exams for primary school students in Singapore. Uh, and before they actually sit for the real papers, uh, and yes, the exams are still going on in Singapore. Uh, we are going ahead with it. Uh, the point here is that if a student who has been tested positive uh, and is unable to take the exam, uh, they will be uh, they will use the preliminary exam results uh, and of course some other metrics that they will be using you know like consistency of work uh, and projecting what could be a possible grade for the student. Now, having said that right uh, and looking at the algorithm, what could have been a uh, and I hesitate again to use the word better, but what could have been a way to mitigate this? To be honest about it, um, in defense of Gavin here, yeah. uh, there's other things that I would criticize Gavin on more than this is that um, it's a bit like the argument that goes on in education and it's an it's a ongoing argument. Is yeah. it better to have exams where students are there in the situation, they can't cheat, there's no plagiarism, unless they're David Blaine, of course, right? <laughs> <laughs> and if they're that good, they deserve an A, don't they, for credit? Yeah, yeah. But, the, um, uh, but the bottom line is this, that it's a bit like, um, I mean, to use an analogy, in football, uh, there's an old saying that you're only as good as your last game. And yep. as a Tottenham supporter, looking at Spurs last week, it was shocking. Yep. Um, we won't go on at that because not everybody listening to this will like football. But I mean, but that's can, I, can, I, can I just state that, uh, that you, uh, Spurs are yeah. rubbish now at, at this moment in time? Okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what, what what I'm kind of saying is, you can have, you, there are students who do well on continuous mm. assessment. Now I'm not saying that they are getting help. Okay, they yep. may or may not be. 
But in the real world, um, I mean, I, I'm quite a supporter of exams, but those exams have got to be very valid and yep. very fair. Like, like for example, Mark, um, people I know a lot of people have got MBAs from prestigious um, universities, but as managers, as leaders, some of them have been shocking. Now, I'm not saying that people who've got M MBAs are poor managers. They could be excellent managers. But what I'm saying, passing an MBA exam, yeah. uh, given so much of it is theoretical, uh, is not about competence. So the bottom line is uh, I'm, a, I'm a supporter of um, exam system, of the exam system where students have to do real um performance under right. authentic conditions right so i right. don't think there's a perfect answer to the question now obviously if you can't sit exams then you have to look for other data so you can trust the schools to be as fair objective as possible um well you know um at the end of the day we know that um some teachers, not maybe not even consciously, but when the students are good and you know they they uh, they work hard during the year, there is a there is a kind of inherent bias, isn't there, to right. those students slightly better. And if if you've got a bit of a cheeky student who uh, you don't really like, um, so uh, maybe uh, it's it's a kind of negative, a positive or negative halo effect, right? Right, right. Um, so there's no perfect solution to that. It's it's a question of looking at the data and making a decision. The thing with an exam is that it is the same for everybody. Okay, you could say, well, if someone's got a cold or sick or whatever, they're at a disadvantage. But, um, yeah, if they're really medically ill, they wouldn't be in the exam room. And you, perhaps you can take that as some mitigating circumstances. But, but there, is no, there is no universal simple solution to that. Okay, okay. So, uh, no, I, I, th I thought it was, it was interesting. And, and I was trying to think, uh, uh, would the Singapore government actually uh, stopped the national exams in Singapore. Uh, and my thoughts on this is highly unlikely. Although uh, it was stated very clearly that the core curriculum or some what, what we would call the compulsory uh, or minimum curriculum uh, has been pared down to take into account the fact that uh, a lot of uh, we shifted to uh, online learning quite a fair bit. Uh, during the year. So you, you are right. I, I don't think there's a perfect silver bullet solution. Uh, and I think the algorithm in itself is not a bad idea, but it should not be the only idea, if you know what I mean. Uh, it should back up, I suppose, uh, actual sitting of the examinations rather than replacing it per, per se. Yeah, you see, there's a big area, Dan. It's something we might do a podcast on in the future, uh mark because yep. it's being banded around a lot and that is learning analytics going into big data yep. and using this as predictive de devices it can certainly help understanding but what really worries me about any kind of historical stuff is from my experience and you you can comment on this i have taught students who have in the past done very badly so you yep. would call out of sync students or you know whatever term you want to use but with good teaching and the ability to motivate students and get students to have a growth mindset, if you like, believe that with effort, they can be successful with good teaching. And that's why we value good teaching. That um, My own experience, I took my um, O-level mathematics in 1968 yeah. and I got grade nine. 
And if my Jack Russell dog, also called Jack, I mean, what else would you call a Jack Russell? Come on. Um, <laughs> if, if he, I mean, he, uh, if he would have sat the same exam, he would have got the same grade as me, a grade nine. That's the lowest failing grade. Now, the the teacher I had at that time, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, but it, I learned no maths. I couldn't understand anything that that teacher did but I was lucky I had a new teacher um post that and I eventually went up five grades in yep. less than a year so it worries me uh, you know if you'd have taken me when I found my maths exam the learning analytics um I would have been labeled a failure and that could have been a fairly negative uh label yeah um learning analytics I'm not saying it cannot be uh, of value in education, but um, yeah. I worries me because a kid hasn't done well this year that that kid's not going to do well and needs some kind of counselling. I just need yeah. someone to teach math. Yeah, I understand. Uh, I, I I think I think yeah, I think you, you have a fair point. Uh, we we get we should do a whole episode on uh, learning analytics, uh, and the prediction that it provides, uh, and the descriptive analytics and so forth. Uh, but we'll put that aside for now. Uh, because I think yeah. that's a whole new. Yeah, uh, sure. Area that we can spend you know hours talking about, but maybe let let's move on. Uh, and let's also talk about what else did he do, uh, that got him really you know criticized on a lot of things. I think one other thing that uh briefly we were talking about this was the negligent manage mismanagement of the pandemic, which essentially led to schools and colleges becoming COVID incubators. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean. It- to be honest about it, this is where I have some sympathy with Gavin. That right. At one level, I mean, and the debate is still going on. Do we open up? Do we do what, you know, should we have done what Sweden did right from the beginning, which is just to continue as normal? Now, right. I, is Sweden in the news? Have they got hundreds of thousands of people who are, have been sick and dying? I've not heard that. And then you have the lockdown people. It's almost like some of the lockdown people like the lockdown. I mean, it gives them something to talk about and maybe they get careers out. Of it. I'm not being cynical here, but what I'm saying is it was such a difficult call. Uh, yeah. At one level, to get kids back in schools um, was was a good call. Unfortunately, um, there was um, um, you know, a lot of COVID cases coming up and he changed his mind very quickly. Now, the question is, well, was that good? Should he have just said, oh, no, I'm going to stick with that? And then yeah. if half a dozen young children die... Um, of COVID, then he's going to get a comment um, on 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 the media here in the UK. And this, I'm being serious here because, <laughs> but one one of the presenters, a lead presenter, um, actually said to Matt Hancock, "Poor old Matt Hancock, uh, unfortunate um, how things panned out for him." But they actually said to him because um, we had trouble getting the PEP equipment right early on. Yeah, actually said to him. Um, do you feel responsible for those uh, words to this effect anyway? Do you feel responsible for those 20,000 deaths? Mm. Now, I mean, I mean, okay, Matt Hancock, I don't think, you know, he did a great job all round, but I don't think he was as bad as some people were making out because, it, it, you know, whatever, whatever the government were going to do, it was Obson's choice because yep. if you open up, you're going to get cases, people die. If you close down, People have mental health issues, businesses go bust, suicides go up. So it was a kind of difficult one. So I, I kind of have some forgiveness for that. For that, but yeah. 
what Matt Hancock did, sorry, what um, Gavin not, and Matt Hancock as well was guilty of the same thing. They weren't terribly good as communicators. They were defensive when Gavin was being interviewed. He's sitting there, you know, almost blank faced. He, he didn't come in. If he would have come in and said, look, this is really difficult. I could do this. I could do that. These are the possible negative and positive scenarios. This is what the scientists are saying. Boom, 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 boom. I'm making it is that he didn't communicate very well. He come across really as all to use a Singaporean saying, uh, Mark, mm. all blur la. And that was, I think, that <laughs> no, was I, yeah, I think I think I just I just want to do yeah, I just want no I just want to jump in here. Dishonest, you know. So I just want to jump in here. Uh, yeah. To 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 some extent, I think everyone was grappling with the. Uh, I don't know if you can use the term Hobson's choice, uh, to whether to close or open, uh, because either way you probably would get flat. Uh, close too long and you'll be like, then when our students, you know, you, lo you lose a whole generation of students and so forth. Because I was reading an article that said that uh, this will be no these students who, who had to sit for major exams during this time, uh, last year and this year, would be considered the lost generation. Uh, but on the other hand, if you open it and then you know that, uh, you know, uh, they, they, uh, it can spread because the social social distancing measures that they will need to implement would probably be a futile effort in doing it. Uh, it will probably be almost impossible. So, so I, I, I don't know about that one. So uh, I, I'm not sure if you can, you know, like chalk it to, to, to an own goal by, uh, by Gavin Williams. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so I, I believe that uh, with the proper measures, and again, I think the context is very different because Singapore is a very small country. Uh, and we are, I, I suppose, better able to control it, and we don't have very large, uh, a, a very large population. Although we are quite densely populated, uh, and so far, uh, the evidence shows that uh, uh, children who get it don't really suffer badly uh, from from it. But again, I'm not a. I just want to set the caveat uh, clearly. I'm not a. I'm not an infectious disease expert. Uh, it's just what I've been reading in the papers. Uh, and so far, uh, I mean, again, in, in, in the Singapore context, we are proceeding with uh, exams, uh, although uh, there was a bit of a lockdown this year. And prior to the, the, the national exam that I was just talking about that's happening next week, uh, the schools have closed, the primary schools have closed for a week uh, to allow the students to prepare for the exams uh, and also for the rest who are not taking the major exams to do home-based learning. So uh, I, I thought that was a good move, although there was some social commentary in Singapore and uh, parents complaining uh, it was not uh, a good idea because they have to cater for uh, family, uh, you know, uh, caregiving and so forth and all that. But I'm looking at it from a bigger perspective uh, and to protect the, the, the kids who are actually going to sit for the major exams. Yeah, um, in fact, Mark, it brings us on to another thing he was criticised on. Yeah. And that was that given when the schools closed, we went yep. into own learning online situation. That's and right. This was not managed well because all of a sudden, just to say, right, you're going to go online, it's going to be... There was no good guidance given. For example, all of a sudden, parents who are under enough stress anyway yeah um, have suddenly got to teach their kids or be support learning 
experts in inverted commas um, was ridiculous. There was no good guidance. If you would have said, look, you're going to go on learning, but here is some good guidance on how to do own learning. Yeah. Um, no communication of this. And as we know, as we work together in Singapore, that the, um, the, the movement towards online learning um, had many hiccups that initially lecturers even you know qualified teachers experienced teachers suddenly go online and what are they doing exactly. they're putting powerpoint slides on and they're sticking loads of links and in a sense uh, it didn't work because it wasn't pedagogically driven now we do know much more now about good online learning and that that should have been communicated there should have been much more guidance and support right across the board in schools obviously India done this quite well but Basically, uh, Gavin Williams didn't match that well. And the reason is, initially, potential criticism of him is that yeah. maybe he just didn't know that much about teaching and learning. In other words, he, he lacked what I would call pedagogic literacy. Okay. Now, for example, it'd be like putting me in charge of uh, managing a shipyard. Well, I know about ships and I know about what do I know about time tide ta time tide tables and port authority regulations, right? So he, he he made a statement about teaching methods. I don't know if you saw that, but he said, "Oh, having students sitting in front of class listening, you know, is 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 an evidence based method." Hated <laughs> on this right. now. If he would have said, and I'm going to make this point because it's a really important point. If he would have said, look, um, teaching methods that work best, if he would have got, referred to, say, the work of John Atty, who said that good old class interactive teaching, direct instruction, where yeah. teacher, as a measure of discipline, clearly explains, but makes it interactive, engaging activities, plenty of good feedback, using technology well, which he never, he talked about using technology, but not what, what that means. Yeah. Basically, he just showed a real naiveness about learning and teaching. And I think a lot of people picked up on that and thought, hold on, this guy doesn't seem to really understand teaching, learning, education systems. Yeah. And he become a real... Um, um, he got seen as somebody who was way out of his depth in, mm, in mm. the area of education mm. to be doing that job. And I think two things is was his lack of knowledge. And again, he should have got better advisors to do this. So whether it's his fault or, or whoever's fault, and I'm not going to say anything negative about Gavin Willis. I don't know him as a person. He may be a lovely chap and very, very able, but it's a bit like, you know, putting me in charge of um, sort of, managing um, f a farm in Australia. Well, I know a bit about animals and a bit about farming, but I wouldn't want to take that job on, you know. So yeah. I think it, it it was hard for him, but unfortunately the, there were aspects of the way he dealt with it that just didn't work, Right, the, the communication. And I think that's really it. Right. So so let, let's, let's, let's unpack the two points that you just mentioned. Uh, one was the... Uh, and, and I just want to share my thoughts uh, on, on this uh, and, and also share a, a quick personal experience and a story so so let's let's do the first one and the first one was uh really about you know shifting uh online uh from teaching you know face to face to online teaching and everybody was making the assumption maybe even him to some extent that it is just a matter of you know switching on your laptop putting it open getting your group of students in front of you and voila the teaching continues life is good you carry on everybody learns evidence-based we know that that's not true 
because there are, there, are, there are two aspects and, and I don't want to, to, to just trivialize this but uh, I think one of the things that I learned when this happened uh, even with a country like Singapore uh, it also boils down to uh, hardware uh, availability of hardware uh, and uh, and I bring this up was because uh, during when, when the pandemic hit, I actually volunteered with a group of people called uh, Engineering for Good, whose mission was simply to ensure that low-income families in Singapore had a laptop that would allow the children to go online to learn. So even before we talk about good online learning, I think the, the basic of making sure that every uh, child is not disadvantaged by a lack of hardware uh, was also something that I think maybe we need to have thought about. Uh, was there an issue in, in, in the UK? Do you know? Well, the, the government were providing funds and quite a lot of funds to provide students with laptops. There was an attempt to do that. Yeah. Like anything else, it was a little bit like with the, um, with the COVID of protective um, wear for people in care homes that to, it's, it's very easy to say, right, we're going to provide it. But if you can't get enough of it quick enough yeah. Yeah. for the people that need it. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we were very aware that we didn't want to kind of marginalise or disenfranchise children. Yeah, exactly. Didn't have that. So yeah. uh, certainly I don't think there was I don't think you could be over criticised on that. I mean, the yeah. reality is to get a laptop to every kid overnight-ish is, yeah. you know, I mean, let's be honest about it, um, uh, that, that's that's largely impossible. Easier probably to do in Singapore because of, you know, the size of population exactly. and also distribution. But I don't think the government could be over-criticised on that aspect. I mean, right. that's my opinion. There will be people that said, of course, they should have done more. But it doesn't matter what you do as a government. I mean, I've learned one thing um, is that in politics, um, whatever you do, you're never going to please everybody. Uh, and there's always going to be people say, oh, we want more. It's a bit like we have a welfare state in England, as you know. And there's loads of groups who say, oh, we need more of this. We need more of this. We need more of that. The very fact that we are trillions of uh, euros in debt. Well, hold on a minute. It's like a credit card. You can keep piling stuff on, but there's, there's a limit. So I'm not going to be critical of right. the... Uh, Okay. On that aspect. So, so then, then, then let's focus on. Okay, so, so that that part is taken care of. The the yeah. the, the tech, the hardware, uh, the the criticisms of. Uh, let let's let's try and address this as uh, as educators. Okay, so so let's let's put ourselves in that situation. Uh, okay, now you need to go online learning. Uh, uh, the assumption is whatever you have do, you done face to face, you can do uh directly online. It's a direct translation. We know that's not true. Now, how then, uh, or if that happened to you, uh, and I know hindsight is 50-50. It's, 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 yeah. it's easy. Okay, It's yeah. easy to talk about what has already gone past. But looking at that situation then, and when you, found, when you find yourself in that kind of situation, uh, and I like what you mentioned when you said pedagogic literacy, which I think is yeah. something that we all need to build. And I and I would like like to say, uh, I've been teaching for twenty one years and I'm still learning. So I I always want to hone my pedagogic literacy. So let's use that concept of pedagogic literacy against that situation of online teaching. Uh, what then can we do now? Even though it's like I don't know, some maybe people feel that it's the tail end. 
we are not really going to uh, do any more online teaching. But I do think it is going to be here to stay to some extent. Uh, so maybe my and I know this is a long question. So the question is, what then should we do in the area of pedagogic literacy, especially in the area of online teaching and learning? Right, yeah, that, that is a massive question. And it's the future of learning as I see it, Mark, because what COVID did was to exacerbate a process yep. that is occurring anyway, and that is to use more technology-based learning. Now, I know yep. um, online learning, technology-based learning has been around a long time. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were talking about it 30-odd years ago, and people saw it as, like, to use a metaphor, the best thing since sliced bread. But it wasn't long, and um, research done by Zemsky um, in 2004 actually yep. referred to online learning as a thwarted um, invention uh, in the sense that it just didn't seem to work in education. And I think there's a, there's a, a big point here is that for many teachers um, who have been educated in, and I'm sticking my neck out here, but I, I do believe that... that, that there is validity in this and there's a lot of leading authorities in the world that support it. A lot of teacher education has focused very much on the individualization of learners, things like learning styles and multiple intelligences and yep. everybody learning in different ways, but not really concentrating on an increasing knowledge um, research-based stuff on the human brain and how people learn. And, and that's why um, people like John Hattie's research, in, I think published in 2009, Visible Learning, where he did a 15-year meta-analysis of what teaching methods work best and published this and clearly showed that some methods work better than others. And then number of cognitive um, scientists, Daniel Willingham and, and many others, Darlingham and Bransford, I won't name, and the work that we did in Singapore over a number of years showed that some teaching methods work better because it supports the learning process better. And one of the, um, our future podcasts should be on what do we really know about human learning now and how can it be used by teachers, obviously, because they're the teaching professionals, how this knowledge can be best used to design teaching and learning generally. But as we move more and more to the use of technology, the use of interactive videos, augmented learning, and it's all coming in now. That's going to be the future of learning. Very yeah. good learning design. There's evidence that's research-based and using technology to create very powerful augmented reality. Um, okay. So that, that's the issue. We are, yeah, there yeah. is a okay. lag between what we know now about teaching and learning and what has permeated um, many educational institutions. And can you expect parents um, to know this stuff and be able to do this at home? Of course not. Yeah. So, so, there, 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 so while you did give us that, that, the outline of that picture, Again, I just want to dive a little bit deeper. Uh, yeah. the, the, the point about, you know, uh, John Hattie, visible learning, we do know that there are some methods that work. Uh, and right now, maybe for a person listening to this and who's still maybe trying to crack the code of effective online teaching, uh, what then will we be able to offer them to help maybe raise their pedagogic literacy a notch in the area of online teaching? What what would be one thing that we can we can tell them in terms maybe of a method that that Hattie talks about, a high so, effect size methods, yeah. 
Well, the first thing to do is to find out if you're teaching your own children, is find out what they already know about the topic okay. and check that to see if there's knowledge gaps, misconceptions, etc. They don't that they're just rote learning it as opposed to understanding it. So find that out then to look at what they need to learn and and to make sure that you connect to the right learning outcomes that build upon that existing knowledge. So find out what they already know and then give them the instruction. And that could be explanation. It could be looking, reading something. It could be a video. Uh, there's lots of different resources that students can interact with. For those who, some will obviously like videos are a good video. It's a very powerful means um, of learning something. So really important to find out what students already know and to right. connect new knowledge appropriately to where they are now. Don't give them something that's too difficult. It will just confuse them and it will just frustrate them and it will turn them off learning. Give right. them what they already know and you're wasting their time and your time. That's one thing. I mean, there's many other things and we will we, we'll do an episode on this sometime. Right. So so, so that, that's where I think uh, uh, and, and I want to just uh, share my thoughts on this would be is this is why I feel that technology can help you do that. Uh, you know, in, in the in the traditional sense, uh, you know, how, how do I find out about what my my students are, are, are doing? What do they know about a topic? Uh, and now you can do that quite quickly with various tools, you know, even with a voice recorder or even with a little, uh, you know, game that you can play. And all these are easily available uh, uh, on uh, easily available online, which really brings us back to what we were discussing last week, uh, which is about uh thing link right that you and, yeah. I, and i believe that you actually spend some time uh, exploring it a little bit more uh maybe let, let's let's move uh, on to to that part of the of the topic for that tool uh, what do you yeah. share with everyone what what have you discovered when you were playing around with it well um i, I thought it was very good indeed and i'll go into the specifics yeah um, when we used to talk about visual and auditory and um, kinesthetic learning, the, that, wasn't, that wasn't a useful term. Humans are about 80% visual learners, and that's because that's the way the brain works. We, and that's why we can look at an environment of so many things in the room or outside, and it doesn't blow our mind. If you give people 20 things to learn at once, it destroys their working memory system. It can't go. So we're primarily visual learners. Now, what that basically means is that the video, a well-produced video, and this doesn't have to be National Geographic, it's purely about the content, the clarity of voice, and the use of gra good graphics, that that is such a powerful vehicle for learning. So a good video, sometimes on YouTube, you can learn something really well from a YouTube video, providing it's been designed well. Very often, when people just put stuff on YouTube, because they're not instructional designers, don't understand the learning process, they miss little bits out and they make assumptions and they're sticking something that you don't even know what it means. So the kind of point is this, if you look at the, uh, the um, thing link, it enables you to produce a, a structure where you could easily embed a video, you can yeah. actually, you can put in almost anything you like. You can put a video in, you can put an audio in, you can actually put a link to another video. Um, 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 so you can have multiple videos embedded. And not only that, you can actually put numbers on just one platform. So you've got an image, you might be talking about the environment. So you've got a picture of 
some aspect of the environment. It could be um, um, a, a jungle and you're teaching students about animals that live in the jungle. So in that picture, you can have some typical animals that are in the jungle and simply give them a number. You just put a number there. You can put it there and you can link that to an explanation. This is a giraffe and you can put information about giraffes. You can embed a video about giraffes. Um, and not only that, you can put a lot of information, all nicely hyperlinked, easy to follow, easy to use. And not only that, you can even put a quiz in. You can embed yeah. a, a Google's quiz. So I'm a student wanting to learn about, it could be about the uh, the solar system. So I go into a, a, a thing link and there's a picture of the solar system, all the planets, right? From, you know, the, the sun is not a planet, of course, but the sun up to Pluto, right? And yep. just in that thing, I could click on Neptune and it will tell me about Neptune. And uh, there could be a video of, um, um, you know, telescopes capturing images of Neptune or when the, um, I forget what it was, one spaceship went past Neptune and um, got some details, key things we know about Neptune, some interesting observations about Neptune. And um, you can do that for all the planets. And then you can actually then say, well, if you want to know about the relationship between the solar system and the galaxy, um, go here. So you can actually link one thing link to another thing link. So I could have my old course on clinical psychology, for example, all around an advanced organizer, which again is another evidence-based method. Give students a clear guide of their learning pathway, right? If we start here, we're gonna learn about our own solar system, key things about the planets. Now, the how does a solar system fit in with a galaxy? And how does a galaxy fit in within the universe? And everything can be linked. So the potential of using that kind of technology and that, you know, the benefits of hyperlinking, and if it's done with good pedagogic literacy, really that's the future of learning. It's one of the, one of the tools now that really is clearly a reflection of um, what we know about um, teaching and learning at the level of brain functioning, because people can look at things in manageable chunks, see the connections, build it up at their own pace, see um, an old range of multimedia stuff. It's potentially um, one of the, um, the great tools around at this time. Yeah. So really thanks, yeah, thanks for as I said, that. I haven't produced courses on it, but as a concept of having a video which is powerful and using augmented reality around it, hyperlinking things. That's the future of learning. Obviously, good teachers will still be there to design this stuff and hopefully facilitate it. Otherwise, me and you, we might be uh, opening a pig farm in the Philippines, mate. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for that comprehensive so uh, we, we uh, need to do a link to it. We need to get a thing link on pig farming and start, you know, be preparing ourselves for that because people are always going to eat stuff, aren't they? But then again, maybe uh, meat eating will go out. So maybe we need to grow plants. I don't know. But, yeah. I mean, I'm being a bit funny now, but, you know, that, that's... It's, it's true yeah so so thanks thanks for sharing that uh, uh, uh and i'm glad that uh you you went to explore the recommendation now for those of uh, us who are maybe still wondering uh, what in the world was that tool uh, it is thing link uh and you can check it out by going to www.thing t h i n g l i n k thinglink.com 
to go and check it out. Uh, it's free. Uh, I think it's one of the uh, best tools that I've seen recently for teaching and learning. Uh, and talking about augmented reality as being the next uh, big thing in uh, technology, technology education, uh, I, I, I would like to recommend a new tool that I came across uh, this week uh, for this episode. Uh, and it's something that is actually I thought was quite uh, mind-boggling. Uh, and it's called Google Lens. Uh, I'm not sure if you have heard of it then. So what it basically does is, uh, and I'm going to read it, okay? Uh, this is actually what the, the description is. Now, Google Lens is an image recognition technology developed by Google designed to bring up relevant information related to objects it identifies using visual analysis based on a neural network. Now, it's a mouthful, but essentially what it does is imagine, right, uh, going and opening up the app, okay, and pointing to an object and all the information that you've always wanted to know about the object just opens up for you and you can actually read it and learn it. Never ever, what, never now, not wondering what in the world is that, uh, what do I know about it? It's all at your fingertips. And I can just imagine this. Okay, so bar the fact that, you know, if you are a tourist and, you know, maybe if you are at uh, Old Trafford and you know, uh, you, you pointed your Google Lens to Old Trafford and it tells you all the glorious history of Manchester United as one possible use. Uh, but I was thinking about how it can be used uh, in the classroom. So imagine if we tried to play a little treasure hunt game. Okay. Uh, and we use Google Lens uh, and we tell uh, the, the, the students, okay, uh, your job is to go around school picking up cues and clues based on these images. So they have to go to the image, they have to go to the site, scan the image using the Google Lens. There's a little bit of information and then using their ability to apply and synthesize the knowledge of these things to weave it into maybe a, a decoded type of clue to solve puzzles that of course is linked to the learning outcome. So that was something that I thought was quite interesting. Uh, I have tried to use it uh, while it was uh, relatively uh, easy to use. Uh, I would think that with enough iteration and uh, give it some time, it will probably settle down. Uh, have you heard of Google Lens then? No, Mark, you, you're, you know, um, um, pedagogy uh, is, is my main area. Yeah. Uh, I've to learn over the years these how to use these tools but the big point is um when you look at a tool and this is something that i think we need to talk about a little bit more in the future is yep. that these tools there's so many tools out there yep. that for a lot of teachers they can't see the wood from the trees and they can't every day be looking at new tools so it's really important i think to be able to look yep. at a tool and say how can this tool improve aspects of the learning process and find those tools that seem to help you to check prior learning, make it more engaging, able to um, get students thinking, um, providing good feedback, those kind of things. And mm, then mm. Um, learn those tools, because I think this is an area that's going to scare a lot of teachers now is these technologies are coming on board. Yeah, they are powerful. We know that they're useful, but we yeah. also teachers are busy people. And to learn this stuff well so that remember you've got to, you've got to put a fair bit of time in to get good at them so it's no yeah. point going on the internet and the little plate they've got to learn how to use them competently yeah. that's a big thing that we 
we we must bear in mind because uh, what we talked about last week with teacher stress that if they're expecting to learn to use these tools in effective efficient and creative ways and do more admin and do more of this then yeah. in, in, at the end of the day it's a bit like it's the straw that bre breaks the camel's back not the donkey's back i, I used it Guernsey last week and can i say one thing mark before yeah, yeah. we finish off that uh, this augmented reality oh it's all right with manchester united to click on them and they won the premiership 19 times you do 20, that 20 20 oh, times then Okay, yeah, uh, but <laughs> do that with Tottenham at the moment, and you'll probably get like two lines of information, like you know, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, uh, that could be the case. So, um, yeah, the this thing with tools is something that perhaps we should um, somewhere down the line invite people to come in and say what what have they found are really useful tools based on yeah. a good literacy and uh, that's something i think collaboratively we can help teachers with and teachers helping themselves because that i know from experience a lot of teachers are really confused with well you know there's so many tools which ones do we use and on what basis and this is free and that's not free it's a confusing area yeah yeah so so i i, I uh, uh that's a, a timely reminder uh but also i i think um I believe uh, with a little bit of creativity and a, with a little bit of uh, uh, noise, I think uh, we can do that. Uh, and I think that's a good idea. We should get uh, a few people who have been using tools. Uh, or if you are listening to this and if you have good ideas of what some of the tools that uh, you feel have been great for your students and you would like to share, uh, or if you feel that you uh, would like to uh, offer topics for us to talk about, uh, then please feel free to write to us uh, at evidence-based teaching. Uh, sorry, I beg your pardon. Evidence-based creative teaching at gmail.com. Uh, drop us a, a, an email. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you think about this episode. Uh, we would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, and also maybe for you to share a little bit about some of the tools that you are using so that we can also highlight it in the podcast. Okay, so now before we end, we will always like to end the session with a little bit of a quote or something that uh, has inspired us over the week. Uh, so I'll let you go first then. Uh, do you have a quote or is there something inspiring that inspired you over the week? Well, I mean, um, I, I use lots of quotes and um, one that always sticks in my mind is that uh, it's against boredom. Even God's struggle in vain. Uh, it, it, it's from Frederick Nietzsche. I'm not saying I agree with all his philosophy, but you know, as teachers, uh, let's not be boring too much. And that's why we are looking at ways to try to make the learning experience obviously effective, efficient, engaging, but also if we can, you know, make it interesting, interesting, at least not boring. So that that's my kind of little quote for the week. It just latches onto that sort of perception let's not make learning in schools boring it's some of it's going to be boring when you know we know that but let's make it less boring where we can and that's what good teachers can do right okay so thanks for that uh mine for the week uh i i came across this quote as i was reading this little book about uh 13 things uh mentally strong people don't do uh and the quote is uh, uh and the quote, and, I, and, I, and I'll say it right now, is uh, live as if you were to die tomorrow, learn as if you were to live forever. And that apparently is by Gandhi. So I thought it was quite uh, important to seize the day 
uh, but really to maybe take time to go deeper and wider in your learning uh, and to really start to build a strong base of our pedagogic literacy. So that's my quote for the day. Yeah, nice one, Mark. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening to us. Uh, we are done and dusted for the second episode. Uh, this has been Yes Sir, Hey Chir. We will see you in our third episode where we will be talking about then. Would you, would you want to just uh, give everybody a little bit of uh, insight? Uh, and I think it starts with the letter M. What are we going to yeah, talk about? Yeah. yeah, it's metacognition. It scares a lot of people. Um, it's been referred to by a writer in the field uh, um, called Brown. He refers to it as a many-headed monster. Right. We will take on this many, many headed, headed monster, monster. Next, in the next podcast and see if we can chop a few heads off if necessary. Okay, so with that graphic representation, <laughs> uh, thank you everyone again for joining us on uh, Yes Sir, Hey Chir. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care, stay safe and stay, uh, stay creative and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>